In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six months free of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six months free of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Stanley Tucci is one of the most beloved actors and directors working today. He has a great reputation both as an artist and as a deeply decent guy. We've worked together twice, and that reputation is well-deserved. Even over Zoom after a decade, it's my pleasure to have time with him again. Motherfucker. Now, let me just say... Yes, darling. Let me just say that, of course, one of the fun bonuses of Zooming is you can see the room they're in. Now, the room you're in right now mm. looks like those scenes in a thriller where they go to the killer's house. There's, like, a yes. lot of sketches on the wall. And yes. Where are you? What room are you in now? This is my room. And my family doesn't let me have another room. So this is my room. And it's where I prepare, you know... To murder people. Tucci's the first to say he's sometimes been typecast as an ethnic heavy, the ambiguously Arab assassin in the Pelican Brief, for example. But he's done plenty of roles worthy of his immense talent, from Puck in Michael Hoffman's A Midsummer Night's Dream to fashion editor Nigel Kipling in The Devil Wears Prada. Not to mention his cult classic directorial debut, Big Night steeped in his love for Italian cooking. After becoming a widower with two school-aged children in 2009, Tucci fell in love with an English literary agent and the two married a few years later. The couple and their new kids now live in London, which is where I found my old friend for this conversation. I always wanted to live in Europe because I lived in Italy when I was a kid, you know, for a year when I was 12. And it completely changed everything. Like, it totally changed the way I saw the world and everything. And and I always wanted to go back and live here. And, and Kate, my, my late wife, she and I always talked about maybe we would go live in France or maybe we'd go live in Italy or something. And then obviously that didn't happen. But when I met Felicity, we did. And I'll tell you, it's like the place I was supposed to be, but I didn't know it. There was a slight intimidation of, you know, that sort of upper crusty Britishy stuff. But once you're once you're here for a bit, it's it's fine. It's incredibly comfortable. I know why you would feel comfortable here. When I would shoot there, I shot a couple of things there. Yeah. And I would shoot there. I would say even a, a taxi driver has a grasp and a, a kind of facility with the English language that's like a college professor back here. Yeah, there's an understanding of the language, no matter what social status somebody is. Yes. Right. But also there is a profound sense of irony here that unfortunately America is greatly lacking in. And 
and that's simply because it's an incredibly old country, and we're not. When you met Felicity, how long were you together when you made the decision to move over there? We were together for a couple of years because she came and lived with us. She came and lived with me and the kids for two in years. In the city? No, no. We were up in Westchester. Oh, you were up in Westchester still? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're in Westchester. That's where I was living and um, I had a house there. And um, and then we rented an apartment in the city for, I don't know, like a year or something just because she worked so much in the city. It was easier for her. Um, but it was it was great, you know, and that's a really hard role. I mean, I... I you know, having been a step parent, I mean, and then for her to be a step parent at that young age with three kids was, you know, it was really tough. I mean, they're now they're the twins are twenty. Camilla's eighteen, and then we have two little ones. So, who pitched the idea uh, of moving to the UK? You or her? She did. She did. She was like, "Look, you know, I have a full time job. You know, you sometimes have a job. How about we go there?" I was nervous about the kids, although the kids had spent a fair amount of time here already. And I was nervous about leaving my parents because I was very close to my parents. They're still alive? They're still alive. My father just turned 90. And my mother just turned 90 in December. I love it. Where is she? My mom and my sister, and then eventually my other sister, when my dad died in 83, my dad was only 55 when he died. Oh, my God. And when he died very young, my mother took a couple of years to divest of her Long Island home and so forth. And she and my sister, and then eventually my other sister and their families, they moved to Syracuse, where my, mom, where my mother is from, right. near her siblings, who have all since then, all of them have passed away. If you told me that my mother would outlive my father and all her siblings, I would have bet a million dollars against that, you know. But Really? Uh, and my mother's not a health nut, you know what I mean? She, would, <laughs> she drank Diet Coke every day. She drank Tab every day. You know, she was not a, a, a health nut. But yeah. when you decide to go there, are you calculating the work thing? Are you thinking, now, how am I going to work from here? Or do you just dive? No, no, I was nervous. Yeah, there's no question I was nervous. But I knew that I had worked here before. I saw that production. Now, this is seven years ago now. There was a lot being shot here. I had done Captain America here. And I talked to the director and the producers about it. And they were like, Everything is moving here because the tax breaks are so huge. The union structure is different. And basically, by shooting this movie, it was tens of millions of dollars that they saved on that movie alone, shooting it here. And then, of course, Atlanta changed things because, you know, a lot of stuff is done in Atlanta now, but still so much stuff. And at first it was a little slow going, but honestly, after a few months, six months, it was not a problem at all. What was the union particulars, meaning? And then for you, you became a British citizen as well because you married her? No, I'm not a British citizen. I'm a, I have a permanent leave to remain or whatever they call it. So I'm a permanent resident. I had to take a test a little while ago and prove that I knew enough about British history, you know, which, you know. Yes, yeah, of course. Yes. Which I knew nothing about, not really, but, you know. And then, but the kids have that too, which is great. For me, it's wonderful because I was a lot of the stuff I was doing anyway was shooting either here or in Europe or wherever, you know, because we don't make movies in L.A. anymore. No, which is really I always told people you do a movie on a, on a set in New York, the, the prop guy would come to you and he'd say, I want to pick out a watch with you for your character. And he'd open up a box. It had like 40 watches. 
when you went to LA, they'd say, the prop guy wants you to look at a watch and he'd bring like nine cases with 500 watches. <laughs> in LA, everything is just more, more. Because that's what it is. That's what it is. It's nothing but that. The last time I worked there was when I did the thing with um, with Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I Ryan, love that. So much fun. Do you know that I called each one of them I called Jessica, who I know, and Susan, I mean, Susan Sarandon, I literally got her on the phone and she kind of had this tone, like, how can I help you? Like, like I, I'm just, I'm just completely puzzled as to why you're calling me. Then I said, I'm calling you to tell you how fabulous you were. And I mean, no one could have pulled, it was impossible to pull that off. Yeah. I loved that show. They're great performances and they're both funny and a Susan I knew I'd made a lot of movies with Susan I had directed her in a movie and but I'd never met Jessica and we really had one sort of major scene together and she was just fucking amazing amazing you go there you're a permanent resident and I'm imagining in terms of the acting thing and the union thing does that become an issue as well no no the union thing as far as sag and all that that's fine what i meant uh, unions what i meant is that the crew unions and the driver unions things like that are very different here and what they what they like here as you know because you've shot here a lot is that they in america it's very hard to shoot and i'm a big believer in unions but america you know if you try to do a continuous day which is basically like, you know, a 10 hour day where you're not taking a lunch break. You're, you know, you just, you're in, you start shooting at eight and you're, and you're out at six. Okay. So you're in at 6.30 and makeup or seven o'clock, whatever. In America, you can't do that. You can't do it. You can only do it if it's location dependent or light dependent. Here, if they go, oh, we're doing a lunch break today. If you go to the producer, you go, why are we taking a lunch break? We're shooting inside. We're shooting in the studio. Why are we doing that? Let's do a let's do a continuous day. He goes, yeah, all right. And the crew goes, yeah, let's do that. We're done at six o'clock. We get to go home and be with our families. And it it's a completely different. It, 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 people say like work ethic. It's not really an ethic. It's simply logic. I mean, the crews are incredible. The drivers are incredible, but they're not interested in being there for 15, 16 hours a day. I mean, in America, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do continuous days. I tried, they wouldn't let me. Um, but I still would finish at six o'clock because I, how long do you really want to be on a movie set? I mean, let's face it, you know, it gets tedious and there's a lot of faffing about that goes on when really we don't need a lot of that stuff. Let's just get to it. Unless you're doing an action sequence or something quite complex, it's not that complicated. I did like a day, maybe two, I don't remember it so long ago, when Pacino did Richard III and the documentary that he made about it was oh, yeah. Looking for yeah. Richard. Yeah. And the first day we shot, <clears throat> we did this scene that Pacino gathered all the cast and crew around. He said, I want to ask you all one favor. And everyone leaned in like, what is it? And Pacino said, don't tell anyone how fast we worked here. <laughs> he said, don't tell anybody how quickly we did this. Said, yeah. then, they'll, then they'll make us all work at this pace. Yeah. I have been on sets where we were really, you have an efficient director who's really good uh, in America. And they finish. You're done like four. 
And they're like, let's get out of here. And they go, no, you, we can't leave. And you're like, why? They're like, well, the studio actually needs you to stay. They need to. They need the crew to stay, so you need to stay. Or if you want to go, it's fine, but the crew has to stay because otherwise it looks like you're not getting the job done. You're like, but the job's done. That was Lumet's reputation. Yeah, yeah, I admire that. One thing I feel in the time that I've fantasized about even moving there for like a year or two, that's my dream, like just to camp yeah. out there for like a year or two. The mountain I'd want to at least try to climb would be the theater. Have you done theater over there? No, because I have little kids. I think what I would prefer to do is direct again in the theater and not go on stage again. Really? Every now and again, I get a yearning. But then I think, you know, I don't get to see my kids. You don't put them to sleep. You don't have breakfast with them in the morning because you're like, you know, completely out of it. The one thing about it is that you can do shorter runs here yeah. in a substantial theater. You can go to the old Vic and do a short run. And that's pretty cool. And where are the older kids? They're here. They're here. Well, they go to, uni they're, two of them go to, uni the twins go to university here. And because um, we all moved over. The yes. twins were only 13 and Camilla was 11. Felicity and I had Mateo in the first house. And then now we have our second house, which is bigger. Thank God. Yeah. So you, have, you and Felicity have one. No, we have two. Mateo and Amelia, who's, she just turned two and he's five. And then the twins are 20 and Camilla is 18. So you have five children. Yes. Right. So, and I have five children. Yeah. Including yeah. my older daughter, Ireland, who lives in Los Angeles. So right. it, it is weird yeah. to have kids and think about, you know, my dear friend who's 10 years older than me and had a 10 year old. He said, don't worry, it's great. Besides, by the time they're saying things that really bother you, you'll be deaf anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, it's so true. I think about, I mean, I think I can hear them now screaming in the house. Screaming. I think it's screaming or singing. I don't know which. Who knows? Literally, the older I get, I, loud noises make me very jumpy. Like if you hear a crash or, or, or loud, uh, everything that goes along with having children. So if I, mm -hmm. if I come and very quietly and very patiently, I try to lay down the law with my kids, they look at me and then they go, mom. And it's of course they don't. Yeah, because I, I know what you mean. I mean, I suddenly, I'm going to turn 60 in November and I suddenly feel like I'm doing things and I'm saying things that, I always watched old people do and say, and how is that possible? Like, how is it possible that that just came out of my mouth? How is it possible that I went, how is it possible that hair is growing out of places where it just shouldn't and not on my head? There's a lot more creaking and cracking. Yes. And I, I believe me, there's a, there's a, every night I, I do my push-ups in my bedroom and yeah. the creaking and cracking is just so... Well, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. When you go into a store and you're like, if you're looking into it, let's say you go into a shoe store and you bend down to look at the shoes, like on a slightly lower, you know, and you just hear like, you know, this fucking cracking and you're like, and it reverberates and you see like the salespeople kind of look and go like, it's embarrassing. I don't, I don't remember all that time passing so quickly. And how is it possible that my attitude toward work has shifted so dramatically as it has now? You know, yeah. People will send me things, and I'll go, and I'll say to myself, "Well, that's a movie I'd like to go see, but I wouldn't want to go make." 
Yeah. Like I, I can't be on a set yeah. in uh, uh, Costa Rica for six weeks. I don't care how much money you pay me. No. I need to live my life right now. Yeah, you can't. I mean, I, I feel the same way. I mean, obviously, I mean, I have to work because I have this overhead and I have a mortgage here. So I have to do it. But if I had my choice, I would do it a lot less. I am much more discerning now. But the problem is you've done it so much, like you just know it. You receive the script and you go, that's a nightmare. That is a nightmare right there waiting to happen. I can feel it. As soon as they say, well, no, they think they're going to be able to get helicopters to get like, no, I'm not doing that. Right. No, I'm not doing it. And that. even the role itself, they'll send me yeah. a role and I'll go, well, God, I think I did that somewhere 25 yeah. years ago. So w- what it takes for me to get as excited about a script to forego this part of my life. I remember when I was making films and before I did 30 Rock for seven seasons and really parked myself in New York and got into TV and got into a, a, a schedule that was uh, friendly for my visitation with my daughter. I was commuting to LA yes. to see her. Right, so yeah. I, um, uh, I remember uh, uh, I used to sit on sets and people would FedEx me my mail from New York. And I'd open up my mail uh, that would come every couple of weeks. And I'd literally sit in my room kind of very sad and go, oh, God, I, I missed the bacon exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum. Yes, yeah. yeah. So many things I wanted to, to see and do and feel going right. by because I'm shooting up in Canada. Yeah. Now, you've directed, obviously, you're very known as a director for one big movie you did, Big Night. But you've directed yeah. six different things, correct? Yeah. They're all very- what made you go back? I love doing it. I did three in a row. I did Big Night and I co-directed it with Campbell. Right. And co-wrote it with my cousin, Joe Tropiano. And then I did The Imposters, which was a farce that seven... Fewer people saw it than were actually in the cast. (laughs) And then I did Joe Gould's Secret with Ian Holm. That was sort of dumped by the company that made it, unfortunately. Because it is actually quite a nice movie. And Ian is brilliant. And then I didn't make a movie for uh, eight years. As a director. And then I did a tiny movie that was a remake of a Theo Van Gogh movie, a very dark, weird, kind of fucked up movie called Blind Date with me and Patty Clarkson uh, about this couple that had lost a child and this is very bizarre, dark relationship. And then another 10 years went by or eight years, I can't remember. And then I did this movie I had written about Alberto Giacometti with Jeffrey Rush and Army Hammer. Yeah, which, you know, which I had written 14 years ago. What about directing made you keep coming back? The whole point of directing is that you're able to control time and space. And as an actor, you can't do that. So you can control only what you're doing, basically. But as 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 a director, you can control Control it all, the palette, the shape of it, the space in between people, the tone of it, the time that, that that scene takes, but also the amount of time that you want to shoot during the day. So on the Giacometti film, I would start shooting. By the time Jeffrey got out of makeup, it would be about 9.30, and I would shoot eight pages. Granted, it was quite contained, but I would shoot eight pages, and I'd be done by four o'clock in the afternoon because I would rehearse it, I rehearsed in advance and I knew, I knew what I wanted. And I had two, I had this incredible DOP, Danny Cohen. Um, and it was, 
so satisfying and so wonderful. What just wonderful. That's why I like it because and I don't I have I, I really don't have an interest in making sort of big Hollywood movies. I should, but I don't. I have only an interest in, in making smaller movies that tell the story I want to tell. Like one that I want to make now about George Bernard Shaw and uh, his relationship with this woman, Mrs. Patrick Campbell, at the when they were rehearsing Pygmalion the, the very first time in the in the early 1900s. It's a fascinating, weird, intimate, funny love story. But I'm not a hard. I'm hardly a technical person. I can create. I can create. I'm interested in creating shots. I'm interested in in creating really interesting masters and stuff like that. But when it comes to the mathematics of it. There's no way I could even... Everything to me is, is by eye. Do you know what I mean? It's the guy who, who, instead of measuring to put a painting up on the wall, I'll just kind of look at the wall and go, there's the middle of the wall. And inevitably, I'm right. Actor and director Stanley Tucci. If our conversation has put you in the mood for a 60-year-old Italian-American character actress from greater New York, you're in luck. John Turturro joined me at a live event in 2017 and talked about the inspiration of seeing a movie star who didn't look like Robert Redford. You know, it wasn't until I saw Dustin Hoffman, actually, which when I saw uh, clips for the Academy Award, I was too young to see Midnight Cowboy. I was shocked. I, was, I remember seeing him, I was like, wow, this guy looks like someone in our family. You know, what's, what, you know, what's he doing in the movie? <laughs> you know, he made a movie about it. Yeah, how can he be in a movie, you know? And I was like kind of shocked to see him, and it was kind of shocking because uh, he sort of opened the doors for these other Pacino and, you know, De Niro and all those guys. For our full interview, text to Turo. I know you need this one, T-U-R-T-U-R-R-O to 70101. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash Alec. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Take ears. Like fingerprints, your ears are totally unique. Too bad your earbuds aren't. Unless you've got Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. Ultimate Ears Fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort. Their groundbreaking lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds. Just put in the earbuds, connect to the app, and watch as the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. With 8 hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with the charging case, Ultimate Ears Fits are the perfect choice for listening to your favorite music and podcast all day long without pain or discomfort. 
For a limited time, get 15% off above the current offer of your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Just use promo code FITS at checkout. That's 15% off the current offer with promo code FITS at ue.com slash FITS. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Stanley Tucci, as a director, creates truly beautiful tableau. Change some details in a still from the lush, chaotic dinner scene in Big Night, and it could be a Toulouse-Lautrec. It's not an accident. Tucci takes inspiration from painters as much as his fellow directors. Yeah, because my dad is a retired art teacher, and we lived in Florence for a year. He went to Florence to study sculpture, bronze casting, and figure drawing. When he he had a sabbatical, he was teaching. He used to teach in Chappaqua. And so I grew up with somebody who painted all the time, who did sculpture all the time, and we're constantly looking at the time slides. Do you remember the old slide machines yes, and stuff? He yes. show, you know. And I would go to his classes sometimes, you know, as I got older. And he was a great, great teacher. Um, but so all that stuff just sort of seeps into you. And those images just become a part of you. And then when I was in New York, when I moved to New York, I, you know, I was unemployed for extended periods of time. And I spent a lot of that time in museums and just reading about art. I didn't really read about film. I didn't really read about, I went to films, but I didn't really read about film. I read about art and I became a sort of autodidact. And so those images are there and they can't help but frame what you frame because they're so beautiful. Everything comes from those images, whether we know it or not. Well, obviously, Big Night is such a cult movie. It's always those movies that people in the business love. Yeah, they do. Yeah, people in the business love Big Night. They, they say, oh, God, what a great movie. And, of course, food and your childhood. I'm reading this article where you're talking about how uh, uh, you, you had an eggplant parmesan sandwich you take to school that was the size of, you know, whatever, like a two-by-four. And I, I'm the same way. I crave uh, uh, good Italian food. And that becomes such a part of your identity. Yeah. Is, is there more or is, is there always a lot of cooking in a Tucci household or has it gone to another level now because of the COVID? No, it never, it literally never stops. So I was cooking for eight people every day. So you got two 20-year-olds plus a friend of theirs who's also 20 who went to university with them and an 18-year-old. Do you know how much food? they eat like in one sitting, not ju just one sitting. I mean, so they come down then and eat a dinner before dinner, you know, <laughs> not to mention lunch and breakfast. I have three day. brothers, so I get Yeah, it. you know, unbelievable. But now three of them have gone back to school to study, which is good. But I also love to cook. Tonight I'm making paella. <laughs> I love paella. I mean, My wife makes a great paella. I bet she does, yeah. You've done... Too much. I've done too many movies. Well, you, you've done a lot of films. When you look back on your career, who were the people you work with that you go, that was really a dream come true to work with this yeah. one and this one? Well, I had a great time working with you, first of all. And I'm saying, not saying that to be warm and fuzzy, but I had a wonderful time working with you, um, Meryl, without yeah. question. I had to remember not to watch her. Like, I had to remember to be in the scene because I was so fascinated. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'd go like, oh, shit, I have to say a line now. Because I would just be watching her thinking, oh, that was really good. How'd she do that? 
I had that with De Niro when I did Good Shepherd. You would hear cut, and he would talk to Bob Richardson, uh, who I shot with a couple of times. He'd talk yeah. to Bob, and then he'd approach Matt Damon and I, and he would give us the directions. And he was about 60 seconds into talking to us, and I'd say, I'm sorry, could you repeat everything you just said? And I don't, I, I wasn't really listening. I was, it was a fi- there was a film screening in my mind the whole time. Yeah, just watching that person that you've watched for so long. And I think also, I did this movie a long time ago with Joe Pesci. And it was a movie called The Public Eye. Uh, and I was, I was quite young and, and I was very excited to work with him. But one of the things that was so impressed me about him and it still does every time I watch him, is that I have never seen an actor listen the way Joe Pesci listens to another actor. And I was watching, um, you know, The Irishman. And I said to, I said to my son, I said, watch him now. Watch what he's doing. Nobody else listens like that. And that's what makes him so captivating is that he's actually fucking and I like in the middle of the scene I'd be talking to him and I thought he's really listening to me. Like I've never had an actor really listen to me like that. I had I gave him his award from the New York Film Critics Circle for The Irishman in the fall. And yeah. I gave this speech and I said that uh you know Strasberg and Stanislavski and those guys would always say we're never 100% the character uh, we're 95% the character, and there's a little piece of us out of the corner of our eye that's watching us perform. Of course, yes. And we're at these knobs and dials, adjusting them a little bit more of this, a little bit less of this. And you see Pesci, someone who goes to these outer extremes of kind of this craziness and rage, but he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> it's all totally. these settings he has. He's very deft yeah. that way. He's so deft. He's so deft. Who else that you've worked with that you... I did this movie, The Edge, with Tony Hopkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. De Niro, originally, was supposed to do the film. Mamet wrote the screenplay. Uh, and Art Linson, who's De Niro's friend, was the producer. And we did a reading. And uh, the character's name was Charles Morse. And I think that Bob realized that he was more uh, Adriatic than, than he was Plymouth Rock. Yeah. So he left the film. I was on vacation with my ex-wife in the phone ring, and they said they got Tony Hopkins to do the film. And I literally tears started running down my face. I thought, I can't believe I'm going to go make a movie with Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the greatest... The film was not a great film. It was a very missed opportunity. But uh, uh, it was the greatest experience I've ever had was working with Tony. Yeah, I bet. What about Sean Connery? Well, Sean was a lesson in... Uh, um, you know, one of the first big movies I made and John McTiernan, the director, said to me, he goes, why can't you just stand there and say the lines, he said. <laughs> he, said he said, you always need to be like packing a briefcase and, and, and folding your trench coat. He said, he said you were very proppy. This is early, the early couple of days of shooting. He says, he says, because he was used to working with stars where you just stand there and say the lines. You know, it's, uh, I'm enough. We, yeah, we right. need a minimum of acting. And uh, I, I thought about that. I thought that makes some sense. I guess that's kind of a, a, maybe some good advice. And then Sean walked in. Mm. And uh, they had done his makeup test and they'd done his wardrobe test and they did his hair. He had a, this beautiful hair piece they put on him. Yeah, it was a really cool hair piece. I yeah. remember. Yeah. And he walked in and I thought, I'm so fucked. I said, no one's going to see me in this movie. I'm, in, <laughs> I'm officially invisible. <laughs> and he talked to me. Every day we shot, he was so kind to me. 
and, yeah. and instructive. He said to me, are you going to the Russians, boy? To the Russians. And I'd say, what? He said, the, the Russians, the, the, the film from yesterday. I'd say, no, no, I never go to the Russians. I thought, you know, what's the point? But what am I going to do, give them my opinion? He said, well, how do you uh, ever expect to learn anything? So you, we go to the Russians to learn. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And then one day, my favorite moment with him was I looked at him and I said, uh, he said, if you don't mind, I won't be off camera for you uh, after five on uh, on Friday. I said, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. He said, I have to get on a plane and fly to Vancouver uh, for the weekend. I said, really? He said, yes, I'm a British tax exile. So I can only be in the States and the States so many days. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm leaving out the S. And he goes, in the States, so many days. And I said, wow. I said, so you fly up to Vancouver every weekend? He said, yes, I fly up to Vancouver every weekend. I said, what do you do when you're there in Vancouver? And he looked at me like I was a brain-damaged child. Yeah, right. I said, what do you do when you're up there? He said, I golf. <laughs> you moron. I think I disappointed him on, on several levels. I like that. I like that movie, though. I, I have to say, I thought you were great in it. Any of your kids have the bug? No. No. Thank God. No. I think Niccolo did some plays in high school. And he actually did a thing for BBC here, too. But he, it's, not, it's not something he's really desperate to do. I think he's much more interested in documentary filmmaking. And I took him to see, I worked with Matthew Heinemann, you know, that wonderful director who did um, Cartel. Right. And he's extraordinary. Uh, and he's, I became friendly with him from this movie that I had done with him. And, and I took Nico to see this other movie he did called City of Ghosts about um, Syrian refugees in Berlin. And Nico was just so excited about it, so excited about it that he said, oh, my God, Dad, that's incredible. That's what I want to do. So now he's studying uh, politics at university, but I know that he wants to work his way into doing that, which I think that is so exciting to me because that's an incredible life. That's a great life. Can any of them cook? Nico, Nico can cook. The girls, no, they have no interest. None. But he came down. I did this. I just did this thing for CNN. I'm doing this thing about Italian regional cooking a CNN documentary series. So we went to four different regions in Italy and Nico came down to Sicily with us and was, you know, became part of the crew and stuff like that. And he was just thrilled. Plus, you know, the food. Uh, is Felicity as happy as a clam? Is she happy to be home? Yeah, she's really happy. She doesn't say anything about America. She made some really good friends in America too, you know, through work and and then she became very good friends, like with Aiden and Lizzie, you know, Aiden Quinn and his wife, Lizzie, and yeah, yeah, yeah. St Steve Buscemi, and, and now his late wife, Joe. So yeah. that was really nice that, you know, she, you know, she made a lot of really great friends. And she really enjoyed part of working there, but she found the experience much more corporate than it is here. Um, but ultimately, she's just happier here, much happier. Much happier. Her parents are close by, you know. No, I, I get it. The one thing I don't want to overlook, uh, very important, is tell me about Central Park. What's this project? Oh, my God. At the buzzer here, we're going to talk about your latest project. <laughs> Josh Gad, we did Beauty and the Beast. Lovely guy, really funny guy. 
And then he calls me up and he says, uh, I want you to do this animated series with me. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I love doing stuff like that, you know. He goes, well, I want you to play an 80-year-old woman. I was like, even better. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than that. And also, you know, you don't have to go on camera. You don't have to put on any makeup. You don't have to do a costume. You go to the recording studio. It's incredibly fun. So Kristen Bell's doing it. And it's a musical. I pretend to sing. But I'm singing as an 80-year-old woman, so it's fine. Share with us. I mean, you're considered a fantastic actor. Share with us the secret of how you access the singing voice of an 80-year-old woman. What did you do for that? I just had a martini before I, I, <laughs> I did it. Percocet. <laughs> yeah. It's like if Rex Harrison were an old woman, like an angry, drunk old woman. That's the way I do it. I talk it, except for one note every now and again. When is Central Park coming out? I think it's coming out in July. <laughs> now... Last question. Yes, John. My love. Yes. If there is such a thing as a role that you wish you could play. Groucho Marx. You're kidding. No. Now, why? Because you used to do that as a kid. Fascinating. You would do Groucho imitations to your family when you were a kid, correct? Mm-hmm. What about him? Why? He and his brothers completely changed the face of comedy. And also, the periods that they worked through were incredible. When you think that they did vaudeville, and then they went into movies, just huge stars. Then there was a sort of decline. Then movies again, under Irving Thalberg, huge hit. Then it all starts to fade away. They're getting older. Suddenly, at the cusp of the beginning of television, he has this enormous hit that went from radio, transitioned from radio to television and stayed on television for 10 years. I mean, that's an incredible career. Not to mention that he was a real intellect and an incredibly complex person. Not the happiest person, which also makes it much... Well, that's what makes it much more interesting. Anybody who's really happy, I mean, how, you know, who wants to tell that story? Who cares? But what I always remember when I worked with you which is a million years ago now. It'll be 30 years ago next year. 1991, we shot that movie. Is that really true? Oh, yeah, 1991. And I I remember uh, shooting with you. I remember walking away and thinking that um, you'd read this about certain actors where they had a career and nothing on screen could prepare you for what they were like in person. Like Mm -hmm. someone said that Vincent Price was a great host and he hosted some of the greatest parties and dinner parties in Hollywood. He was a gourmand. He was a food. He was a foodie. And the Vincent Price, people loved going to Vincent Price's house. And he played these kind of kooky, exotic characters. But in real life, he was this elegant, urbane guy. And when I think of that, although you have no resemblance whatsoever to Vincent Price in his career, <laughs> I think the same thing. When I've been around you, you're one of the most elegant men you play some tough, crazy people, and they're not you at all. That's a real journey for you. The I real I, you, I think, is nothing like that. No, I'm not a, I'm not a tough guy. I'm not. Now you're a Brit. Now I'm a Brit. Brit. Yes, that's right, John. Like, now I'm Brit. Now it's all very different. You've been rehearsing this your entire life. Yes, darling. My son, my five-year-old, he literally speaks like he's from, you know, like he just he came out of, you know, Windsor Castle. Yeah. Stanley Tucci is currently appearing in Central Park, that's a TV show, as villainous 80-year-old mogul 
Bitsy Brandenham. We're gonna do the biggest real estate deal in the history of the world. It's out now on Apple TV. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Two local families at the center of the most notorious crime in Ohio's history. Come down to your knees. Hands behind your back. Eight people dead, all from the same family. This was calculated, planned out. This was cold, cold, cold blood. Now, on the five-year anniversary of the Piketon Massacre, and in the middle of production on this podcast... Breaking news right now. A shocking confession none of us were expecting. Jacob Pikes, what plea do you wish to enter in? Listen to the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, a production of KT Studios every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.